lost myself. I felt stuck. And here I was not realizing how much this has been a reoccurring theme for so many women, especially women in hearing health. Hey, welcome to our podcast, No Need to Shout, hosted by Women in Hearing Health. I'm your host today, Kat Penno, and I'm delighted to be joined by our infamous Angela Alexander. Round of applause, everyone. Woohoo! Now, I'll let Angela do her introduction, um, and then we'll do a bit of a deep dive into our professional and personal lives and what it means to be, for her, a woman in hearing health. Hey, Angela, how are you going today? Hey, Kat. Hello, hello. Um, So I am Angela Alexander. I'm originally from Kansas. I've spent the last decade living in New Zealand, and now I live in Australia. So I have pretty much the most awkward, both dialect and sense of humor. And I'm constantly realizing how different the sense of humors are between those three different populations, because I always use like the worst jokes. I'm like lead balloon in every single situation, but that's okay. Oh God, um, that's the best. Yeah. And whenever I go back to the US, I try to speak just normally. And I just really cannot speak American as easily anymore. Uh, well, I don't know. Anyway, but I'm an audiologist and I am often the black sheep of the family in every sense of the, <laughs> the word. Um, and I absolutely love auditory processing um, work. And that I mean that across the lifespan. I mean that across the audiogram. It's what cool. makes my heart beat fast. Oh, I love that. And when you say you're the black sheep of the family, tell me what that means in a professional sense and in a personal, I think we know what it means in a personal sense, but tell me that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when you go to a conference and you're like, wow, I am definitely the weirdest person in the room that happens like at every <laughs> conference for me, <laughs> that's okay. Oh no. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's okay. Angela, I think somebody's got to be the black sheep in the professional worlds to challenge the status quo. Um, if we didn't have black sheep like yourself and perhaps myself, some would argue, uh, we probably wouldn't change the way we practice or do things as healthcare professionals. Yeah. All that being so said. Someone's got to make people uncomfortable. That's very, very true. And I'm quite good at that. My, my brother calls me the awkward blonde, um, but that's okay. <laughs> so, so I, but all of this being said, I've only lived in Australia a year and I cannot oh, believe wow. the level of support that I have gotten from Audiology Australia. So I want to give a Ooh. shout out to Audiology Australia for just really helping see what the future of audiology looks like, looking for an opportunity and seeing how to like really leverage that. That's really cool. They're a very dynamic team. So that's great to hear. And makes me really excited that um, it's Audiology Australia that you can do the shout out to to get that support from. I feel like Australians are pretty progressive in the hearing world and the ear industry, ear world. So I'm really happy to get, I can't believe you've only been in Australia for a year. I guess I feel like you've been here a lot longer, but gosh, it's just all the presence that we've had online together that I feel like longer. So welcome. I'm happy to have you here in Australia and to hear a little bit more about your profession and your personal life. So I think let's start with um, your personal life. If you could tell me a bit about your family structure and dynamic at home and how you make it all work, especially when you run your own business. Yeah, yeah. So um, 
I spoke a little bit about my childhood life in my TEDx talk, and I'm very happy to announce here that there will be no speaking of daddy issues today. Um, <laughs> so if you okay. want to, need to, no, to I'm good. I'm good. Well. I've, I've gotten that. I've gotten got that, that off my chest. TEDx, a few we're million good, views. Good. It's going to go. Nah, 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 nah. So, I mean, just a quick mention about the TEDx. I did do a TEDx um, this year in July. It was posted online in September. My goal was to have 2,000 views over the lifetime of the TEDx and it's sitting at 280,000 at the current Amazing. moment. Just a we couple will months share in. the link to that. We will share the link to that because it's very important for everybody to watch that if you're in the hearing healthcare space. Yeah. And that will also give you some insight into where Angela's coming from as a professional. Yeah. But but then I think the most important part of my my family journey and where my personal journey intersects with my professional journey really actually occurred when my daughter was born. So um, my daughter, Isabel, she has chosen that she is not Izzy. She is Isabel. I am running with those wishes. Um, She's three and a half and full of beans. And I love it. Um, When, when I found out I was pregnant in 2017 for this, for the second time, I got my practice one out of the way um, that did not work out. Wow. I said that in a really weird way. Once again, lead balloons, right? Let's just drop it. I get it. I get it. So, so, so we had Izzy in 2017. And in my third trimester, I got this idea. And I was thinking, all right, I want to be able to help my therapy clients for auditory training to move forward even during my maternity leave. So I decided to create some online learning modules to help put people through this therapy. And I did it, finished these modules. I was working from 6 a.m. till midnight, which, you know, at that point felt like I was mm. working a lot, but I had no idea that motherhood was actually 24 hours a day. <laughs> all good. Yep. Um, and so I finished this project right before she was born. I had tested a few people with auditory processing disorder and signed them up to do these modules. And then I gave birth and I immediately lost all faith in my ability to do anything. I lost my professional way. All of a sudden, Mm -hmm. you know, I was so overwhelmed with just keeping this little human alive and my husband had a startup that had just launched the week that my um, daughter was born or our daughter was born. So he was so busy and we had this typical 1950s kind of setup for us for a moment there. Okay. And I didn't even have the ability to think I couldn't respond to emails. Like I lost myself. I felt stuck. And here I was not realizing how much this has been a reoccurring theme for so many women, um, mm-hmm. especially women in hearing health, where you're like, okay, my profession is starting to happen. It's ticking over. And then sure. three months later, these clients that I had signed up for APD support, um, as I call it, um, came back in and we did retests and we found that their auditory processing had changed. And here I was like, I had thought, oh, it's the best thing in the world. And then, oh, this is awful. And, oh, I'm a terrible professional. And, oh, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And then you get, you get those clients that come in that help you realize you're on the right track. And, oh, and it's been, you know, it, 
my daughter turns four in February. This has been a whole series of me coming back to the person that I need to be um, for my future in and the future of audiology. And I could not be mm. more excited to show my daughter what mm. what a black sheep of a profession can do. So here we go. I, I oh, so many things to unpack that you've said, but first and foremost, I loved how intertwined your professional and personal lives are. You've had these light bulb moments that I wonder would you've had them if you perhaps weren't about to give birth. And when when you become parents, I think it's also important to understand that your life doesn't have to stop. Like you you and your husband launch these startups as you become parents. And so there's so many emotional layers we could dig, dig into and I'll, I'll say a few of them and then we can go down those paths. So I think what I like to talk about is this transition to parenthood because nobody highlights the transition to parenthood. Uh, we might say things like it's really hard or it's really great being a parent, so rewarding, yada, yada, yada. And I agree with those, but this baptism by fire where you lose your identity, both of you, the male and the female um, in heterosexual couples and, and others would be exactly the same, I'm sure. But we don't talk about exactly this transition that you've had. You 100% lose yourself for however long and then you've got to rebuild your confidence, claw yourself back to perhaps the spot you were at before and then some because having a person, a human, be so dependent on you for 24-7 for the first 12, 24, 36 months of their lives more is insanely hard. And you use the word overwhelm before, and that really resonates with me as well. And, you know, I also wonder how your husband went. Did he take time off? If you took six weeks or six months off, did he take time, the equivalent of time to support you and your business and your professional dreams? You know, what, what was that sort of dynamic there so, after birth? Yeah. So in, in New Zealand, we have mums groups like we we did and mm -hmm. like they have in Australia. In the US, you don't really have that kind of setup necessarily, but mm -hmm. we had parenting classes where we went to mm -hmm. prior to Isabel being born. And we were the only couple that was excited about giving birth. And we were two business people and we let everyone know. And I was, I let everyone know that we came up with a plan. We were going to split things 50-50 from 6 p.m. Wow. to midnight. My husband would take Isabel. I would do midnight to 6 a.m. He would do 6 a.m. to noon. And then I would do noon to 6. So we perfectly had split up the 24-hour clock. We were, I mean, I yes. did realize that I was taking some of those harder shifts, but I was okay with it. And, um, you know, that didn't happen a single freaking day um, ever. No, no. Yeah. I mean, and the plan didn't work. No, the plan did not work. And I mean, I now know why people looked at me like I was an absolute idiot. Cause that, I mean, it was the most ideal thing. Um, Isabel was two, um, in March of 2020, I was speaking in Washington DC and all of a sudden the conference that I was speaking in got canceled. And, um, you know, I'm about to go up, I'm about to start presenting. And they said, everyone go home. We're in a state of emergency. Mm. I had dropped my daughter off in Kansas. I'm in DC. My husband's in New Zealand. I flew back, got her, got back to New Zealand before they closed the borders. 
And it was in that moment where I looked at him and I was like, you know what? My opportunity to actually show people a different way of audiology starts now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I need 50% of my time. So we had gone, um, if Sean, if you're listening to this, sorry for the brutal honesty, we went from me doing 99.9% of the parenting and him 0.1 to 50-50 overnight. And COVID, so hang on, how, how old is Isabel at this stage? Two years old. Two years old. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah. So we, we went from a family potentially in trouble to, a, and I told my mom, because I didn't have any other family living in New Zealand. Um, I told my mom that I felt like I was in the warmest hot tub up to my chin and I had to keep oh, yeah. on my tippy toes in order to keep this child alive. And, um, COVID absolutely saved our family. Um, and That's cool. And here, you know, I we took our spare bedroom, we made it the war room. Nobody was allowed in the war room except for the person who was on at that time. I could see it out the window them jumping on the trampoline together and my husband really creating the deepest bonds he'd had with our daughter. Mm-hmm. And Love that. um and that 50% has continued now. And we actually divide our week up half and half, even after hours, to go do our own things. We no longer assume Amazing. that we're going to be together all the time. We assume that we're going to be doing our own things, our own things, and we schedule time to be together. It's amazing. Oh, amazing. It is. And I said wow too, because I think. It takes so much courage as a woman to say to your partner, hey, I need this to, first of all, stay mentally sane and afloat and achieve the things you perhaps wanted to achieve prior to having a child. And second of all, how incredible that you chose a life partner, that you could have these brutally honest conversations and he also can't read your mind. So he stepped up to the plate. I'm sure he appreciates it because those bonds that you see your partner, Sean, create with Isabel are next level. And my partner is very similar. And I, I always have an underlying guilt with me, no matter what I do. So if I'm with my daughter or with, I'm not. So I think it's important that we acknowledge that you can ask for the things you want. And the other topic um, or area I sort of like to go into is that you and Sean acknowledge that you're not going to be together 24-7, say pre-baby days, because having a child does change your your relationship with your partner, which I never really thought about until I was in this position. Um, so that's really cool to hear that that you guys, I suppose, have this great understanding. I did see a Facebook post or a LinkedIn post where you spoke about, you and Sean did say that you thought, couples who were divorced had it best because one weekend the kids might be there other weekends kids might be here and I thought oh that's really um interesting yeah I'm gonna have to read more into that so tell us a bit about that post yeah what you both meant we we had been talking prior to Isabel being born like we were we were trying for a child for about five years um and then I bought these little um, these little ovulation test strips on, off Amazon and mm-hmm. what do not depend on ones. an app to tell you about your own <laughs> biology. Let me just tell you that. Um, and they were like, 
the fertility clinic is like, oh, if you want to waste your money, you can go for those. 25 bucks on Amazon. What? Absolutely. So anyway, so we, before we even ever gave birth to, to is I, we used to joke around with friends. Like it was, it was just like this thing we used to say, like divorced people have it so lucky. Like it is, they have half the time for them, half the time for their kids. It's great. And then I think even it was maybe six months ago where I realized that we were both really bored when we were together in a, as a family. And it was just becoming this day in, day out. The days were melting together and neither of us felt like we were really enjoying ourselves. And here we live in Australia on the coast. We have a boat. Sean loves to fish. Mm-hmm. I love to do roller derby. And neither of us were spending time doing what we loved. So we literally sat down with a calendar and we we tracked out in our entire week. So every single week, it is the same. Um, Mm -hmm. Monday night's family night, Tuesday night's my night to do things. Wednesday night's his night to do things. Thursday night, we have a babysitter for two and a half hours where we go out, we have dinner. She is 13 years old. By the way, the most responsible 13 year old ever charges us $35 bargain basement deals. (laughs) Smart girl. I know, right? I go ahead and one up that by getting them Uber Eats of something really tasty that she wants to eat. She gets our kid to sleep faster than I do. I don't know. I'm actually thinking about setting up a nanny cam to like learn how she does this. (laughs) Isabel's asleep by 7.30 at night. Not something I can get to happen I think it's because my um book reading voice is too interactive anyway so 7 (laughs) 30 we get home we have the rest of the night to hang out have a glass of wine what then Friday night family night and then Saturday's his day Sunday's my day what so I I just love what you've described it's your village it takes a village to raise children and you're you've created this and I think Again, so much bravery and courage that I hope you, uh, this podcast, this, this discussion can inspire many, many people out there, not just women, men as well, right, to acknowledge that your partner might need to go back professionally. They might not need to take a full 12 months off or two years off or whatever the expectation is. You said at the start that for the first year, uh, you had this very 1950s setup, and to me, that blows my mind. That that is still societal expectations, but societal expectations is this deep undercurrent. And I think if we compare it to the hearing loss world or the hearing world, it's 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 comparable in the sense that, hey, why don't people get hearing aids sooner? Oh, the stigma, that the societal stigma that runs through that narrative is so hard to change. So if we don't have these conversations to talk about the change that needs to occur, who will? Who Who's going to inspire the narrative of women starting their own practices and challenging the status quo like yourself, Angela? And who's, you know, we don't, we didn't know that you and Sean plan your weeks like this. What a great idea to utilise the young teenager who wants to probably also save money for their first car. Like those are the things we need to hear about. These may sound obvious, but they're really not when you're in the trenches as a parent. Right. So I really, oh, it just makes me super pumped to hear that you've got this beautiful um, and I'm sure at times challenging dynamic, family dynamic, professional dynamic, because, you know, kids are unpredictable. 
Isabel might have these meltdowns and so you might have to change your plans last minute but you know let's let's talk about your your professional life because I think um I I don't envision your timetable as a very nine to five I could be wrong I see the way you practice as a professional is very global so you might do calls with the United States early or late at night or the West Coast, the East Coast of Australia, inter intercontinental, the UK. Let's talk about how you manage um, your professional life with your personal life because to me I, I think you're taking over the, the hearing, healthcare, rehabilitation world uh, sort of a couple of countries at a time. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of a segue from that conversation to this one is like, um, I think that a better life is always on the other side of an awkward conversation. Um, and, it. and another quote from Jack Katz is um, a single sentence can change your life. So keep listening. Right. So, mm, beautiful, so beautiful. So yeah, if somebody would have told me 10 years ago that I would be living a truly global lifestyle, <laughs> I don't know if I would have believed them. Like I, I'm literally at this current moment mentoring a hundred audiologists around the world, um, Insane. including an otologist in Bahrain. Um, I have taken on a research assistant in Lebanon. We meet for three hours a week and we come up with really lofty, crazy goals. And then we break them down and make them happen. Um, her name is Fatima Abbas and she is oh, yes. so cool. And I always say her last name wrong. So Fatima, sorry about that. Um, but I got her first name right. So that is super cool. <laughs> um, so Fatima has become uh, the total, I'll go ahead and say she's my, the Batman and I'm Robin because she's doing the harder work. Um, but, but it's nice. been really wonderful to to work. And I will be honest, I mostly keep my hours of work between 7am and 5pm Australian mm -hmm. time. But I get up at 5am and I get my brain prepped to do some pretty amazing things. I mean, as, as amazing as I can be. Um, like I pretty I, damn amazing then <laughs> my, my, my time from 5am to 7am is my mental priming for the day cool. and it's so, so you don't just roll out of bed have a double shot black coffee and you're at 6 45 7 o'clock in the you're actually having a couple of hours to get yourself in the zone yeah so i cool. my goal is to never touch my phone within the first hour of waking up so mm, how does it go so, oh it's good it's good it, it's great because it it gets me my to-do list going first before I start doing other people's to-do lists, right? So, mm -hmm. so I like to have my cup of coffee outside at 5 a.m. and nice. uh, start either journaling or reading a really good book. Um, that uh, it's a creativity book, not a not a novel usually. So okay, um, cool. So good. It's a good place. What to start. a creativity book. Yeah. Uh, sidestep. What, what do you mean? So right now it's the three birds renovation book. Okay. Um, so I got you, got you. Yeah. Something maybe outside of audiology that gets my brain thinking creatively um, because the more creative I am, the better my mental well being is. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah, it's really good. Oh, I love it. Um, 
How is your speaking gig going? Oh. When I saw you do that, I was like, I've got so many questions. I'm so impressed. Yeah. I love so- speaking on this topic and like, you know, being pro-feminist and equality and all that sort of stuff. Like, yeah. so what, like, how did you get onto that? And yeah, what do you do? So a few of my friends who have had been signed with Saxton sent them my TEDx. So I was, I was pretty excited about that. So, um, I am, I have, I think that it, I need to make those a little bit better. Like the talks that I've put up there are lacking much interest or whatever, but I think I could potentially talk about equality in family life. Um, hundred percent. Why couldn't you? We just did. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Um, the other one is, Another talk that I'm planning on putting up there is a hundred ways to immediately change your life. Like a hundred ways to to immediately improve your life. Um, Mm -hmm. And like anything from how to juice a lime with a fork to. (laughs) I know. Oh, I like it. I'd like to know how to do that. Oh, it's quite good. I think as parents are like, what are our resources and how do we make this work? Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know if this is on that list, but could you also be a facilitator or a moderator because I could see you doing that as well yeah in, in any science or healthcare realm yeah yeah and you too you too you'd be freaking phenomenal uh, yeah, at that yeah no <laughs> really really good at it and like figuring out that MC thing um I have mindset coaching once a month and one of okay, my cool. mindset coach was like we I had a problem and I brought it to her and she was like okay can you divide your personality up into two different parts? And then she like had me, we role-played with those two different parts of my personality. It was hilarious. I was like, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed by how two distinct these two are. There's the presenter who's polished and he, Mm-hmm. clearly and then there's the ringleader who is loads of fun and is potentially gonna interesting cuss. yeah it was so interesting and so she was like okay think about the values of your two different personality who what what would be your two Can you no i well uh, well my first thoughts were those were not the first two i would think for you don't know why but um did she give you a list and you're like okay from this nope. list i'm this one nope okay. i was just like no, actually I'm the presenter. I'm the polished one. And then I'm the, like, who knows what's coming out of her mouth next. Yeah. Interesting. I'm definitely similar to the, who doesn't know what's coming out of her mouth. Um, Um, From an outsider's perspective, mm -hmm. I see the technical perfectionist in you. Like you definitely (laughs) see that you're, you're like, okay, no, this is exactly how it needs to be done. But then you've got this realist. That's like, oh, yeah. this is how shit actually works. All right. So I'm a realist, me, yeah. <laughs> I see this realist and this perfectionist that can co-mingle with each other. Yeah. Um, okay. That's interesting. The realist, yes. Technical, yes. I'm also somebody who gets, I'm really, when I'm not happy with something, I'll say, oh, you know, I'm definitely not happy with this. When Helen, who runs the UWA course, he said, do you want to come back and do these talks? I said, sure. And I sent her my slides one year afterwards. And then the next year they started recording for cases like COVID happening here and going um, virtual and then for students to watch lectures later. And she said, oh, I didn't realise you brought all these things up. So, for example, in our course, we're taught very much hearing loss, hearing aid, 
type of hearing loss implant is the options. It's, it's really light on alternative devices or methods to support individuals who aren't ready for devices. And I said, oh, I found it after I practiced for a few years, really bizarre that we were never really, we never really delved into the alternative strategies for um, significant others and the primary communication partner. And Helen said, oh, I didn't even realize that we weren't doing that because she'd been doing the course for years. It just became this, the same shit every year. It just accumulates and it becomes this blind side, right? And so I came in and the last couple of years and I do the hearables talk or I talk about it uh, like hearing technologies is one category, fish apps is one and communication strategies is another and apps and whatnot and training programs might fall under all these areas. And um, I remember one of the students saying, give me an example of their practical placement with said clinic across Australia. And it was virtually, and they said that the way this person professional had offered a device made them feel really uncomfortable. And I said, oh, well, let's talk through that a little bit. Why did you feel uncomfortable? And they said, well, because I, as a student, thought that the client was saying they're not ready, no, no, no. But the only solution they were being offered was hearing aid, hearing aid, hearing aid. And I said, okay, well, what other solutions do you think would have been available now that we've had a talk and you're in your last you know, uh, term of studying? And they actually had to really stop and think about it because even though I'd just given this lecture on other things, they were like, oh, and, and I'll say, do you think now you know what you do know? Could you go back and say later, not in front of the client, obviously, yeah, but yeah, later yeah, yeah. to the yeah. professional, hey, I, I've learned that there is these apps that this individual could use, like yeah, Live Listen, which is a free yeah. app on their phone. Um, you could turn on the captions on the TV. Yeah. You could have an ALD instead. The students still really had to think about it. And whilst they agreed that there were these alternatives, they didn't know how to integrate it into the conversation because we were not we're not taught that. So it's actually this really uh, it just blew. I think I think Helen was like, oh no, I'm glad. I sometimes think uh, you know how you said you're the black sheep. I said I think Helen invites me back to give these lectures because she knows that it's pushing the boundaries a little bit from the standard course. Mm. And I actually spoke to Professor, do you know Professor Raj? I can't remember his last name, but he's at the Uni yeah. of Flinders. He's quite flamboyant and engaging, cool. you know, both like us. Awesome. And he, um, he's done a TEDx talk on tinnitus. I'll, <sighs> I'll send you the link. And he said, oh, because um, I'm involved with some research with those guys and hearables. Uh-huh. And he said, oh, I'd like to you – know, I've heard that you do these lectures. Let's do them together next year. I said, yep, yeah, that'd be great for that cohort. And then I said, hey, what was it about what you've heard through these other professors? I'm not really in the academic world. I'm a really practical person. Let's get yeah. shit done. Come on, we don't need yeah. this to do that. Yeah. I have more impact, probably like you. You've got more impact globally doing this rather than doing your PhD and doing that. Right. Um, and he said, oh, someone, one of uh, like a past student from the year before who'd graduated and then worked in Adelaide had said, the way they were recommending things sounded different to a student he had taught at the uni. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And it makes me really happy to hear that at least one person understood what I was trying to get at and has started to spread the message that there's more than just hearing aids. Oh, my God, yeah. Oh, my God. A hell of a lot more. And I think, I think I'm hopeful that a lot more audiologists are cottoning on to that. Yeah. Well, can I just say, this is what I think the future of audiology looks like from an auditory processing perspective. I think that we are going to be harnessing AI. We are going to be saying, all right, 
here are clients. We have evaluated them in all of these different ways. Take that data, put it into the computer. All right, here are all of the different therapy types. Let's hypothesize which outcomes. Actually, we can positively predict their outcomes based on AI and machine learning. Mm-hmm. And, and it's going to be less of, I only use this therapy or I only use that therapy. Use whichever therapy is going to help that client totally. the most. Like literally I am, when I first started doing, um, teaching these, these courses, I was very much about the Buffalo model and I still am. I mm-hmm. love the Buffalo model. It's a great baseline. And people are quite critical of the Buffalo model because a lot of people don't understand it. But I thought people were critical because I thought there was a more comprehensive model out there available. And there's not. There's not. There's mm-hmm. not. There's a lot of people who are working on specific pieces and they think it's the whole picture and they're missing uh. the whole person. And the whole person has all these little pieces. So if this audiologist says, I created this therapy method, it's awesome for this specific thing, they need to stop saying, it treats everything. Like it's terrible. Totally. We just all need to be doing all these things, have our tool belts. But the cool thing is we get to be creative to do it. And mm-hmm. you need a scientist to be creative. You do not need a scientist to clean a hearing aid. Like mm, literally right. this is Great the point. future. Like the future of audiology has more creativity. It has more, it has more job satisfaction for the audiologist because we're not just going to be technical salespeople anymore. What I think happens, as I was listening to you now, is that we, when you go to university, don't you think that we lose, we lose that creative flair because you're taught in such a structured manner. So when you come out, you do think hearing aids, hearing loss, hearing aids, severe profound, maybe implants. And so you do lose that ability to go, actually, I can build and be resourceful with other things. I have a hard time believing that any audiology university wanted their their students to only become dispensers. I have a Mm -hmm. hard time believing that they thought, all right, you know what, let's just bang out a whole bunch of um, salespeople. No, like they want us to move the profession forward. So they also Mm -hmm. need to be the ones to help expand the minds. In the US, 40% of AUD programs do not teach about auditory processing disorder. Which, oh, okay, that's crazy. So if we say that 0.01% of the po- population may have permanent child hearing loss, right? Like one or two out of every thousand children has permanent hearing loss from, from early childhood, compared to five to six percent of the population from a conservative estimate having an auditory processing disorder, like it is a factor of magnitude greater Mm -hmm. population and then and that's not even the kids that are probably going to acquire it that's not people with hearing loss like like this population like 300 million people potentially worldwide being significantly impacted with auditory processing to the point where they are not moving forward in their life and there are less than 500 of us globally who specialize in it what a disservice we're doing to and what an opportunity for growth. 40% of universities just do not they don't offer have APD. an APD course. And I would venture to say, Crazy. I would venture to guess that half of the courses that are taught about APD in the U.S. 
would be to discredit that auditory processing disorder exists. There's a what? huge amount no of why. Yes. Yes. I, I, you can, that I will go on the record to say that there is a huge percentage of audiology courses that actually try to promote the idea that auditory processing disorder does not exist. I don't know what okay. they think auditory skills are, but it's all good. That actually, I'm like, is this a joke? Is this no, still like balloon, Angela? Because no, I no. that just doesn't even make sense. Even if you just think about the physiology and anatomy of the brain and the sensory inputs. Okay, let's talk. Let's not talk about that in too much detail because that would make. Isn't me that crazy? Well, yeah. So this is the issue, though. Oh wow! If an audiologist has never seen an auditory processing disorder tested and if they've never mm -hmm. seen it treated and they've never actually seen those things generalize from testing to treatment to retesting and seeing improvements actually happen in someone's life, I can imagine that they are skeptical. I have gotten to see it hundreds and hundreds of times. So it is my personal goal for the rest of my life to show that to as many people as possible. Because Excellent. once you see something you've never seen before, you can't close your eyes to it. Well, look, I think you can be skeptical, but you should be optimistic and open to learning. And that's what you are as a healthcare professional is always. That's why we do con CPD, continual professional development. Otherwise, if I went to universities in the 80s or 90s and practiced the way I did in the 80s or 90s, well, I'd still be using uh, analog hearing aids and screwdrivers. So I think we've got to really flow with the times but discrediting that's again uh what do you call it like professional sabotage yeah um, i actually had a professor oh, who told crazy. me i had a professor who told me that's not auditory processing disorder that happens to me all the time oh no <laughs> but you know what good on you for the journey that you've been on the things you've tried and that's the beauty of being an audiologist and having your skill set is you can give a lot of things a go until you find your feet and then you just hack away at being the yeah. the person, the specialist in that area. Yeah. Um, so I think you're just at the beginning personally. Thanks. Um, of challenging the stuff. And then I think it's just going to snowball. I just want to touch a little bit on, I have two questions. My first is if you could tell me who your absolute role models and mentors are, mm. that would be awesome to hear. And the second one, a little bit of advice for anybody out there in regards to how to do it all as a woman in hearing health. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. First of all, my mentor is Jack Katz. Um, in fact, I was almost late to this meeting because we were finishing up our chat this week. Uh, we have decided to give each other auditory training this year um, and we're starting Amazing. in two days and he lets me okay, record cool. all of our conversations. So I'm, I actually even did the HHIA on him today, which was super exciting. The hearing handicap inventory for adults. Um, so Jack Katz is my main, my main mentor. I call upon uh, Amelia Earhart, uh, Maya Angelou, um, and Jane Goodall as my, my three sources of female inspiration from all the way back in childhood. And my cool. biggest piece of advice for women in hearing health is that if you are not passionate about something, find a way to take it off your plate. That is in home life, that is in professional life. There is, like I have somebody come and do the cleaning in our house, 
what she gets done in two hours, I cannot get done in eight. And mm-hmm. here's the cool thing. She gets that pocket money and whatever she gets from the pocket money that she's cleaning the, this house for, she spends on herself. So we are both treating ourselves and both helping our well-being. And women in professional situations, women in power, create win-wins in every 100%. facet of their lives. Oh, I love it. Totally giving me goosebumps. This will not be um, a visual recording, sorry, but I'm touching my arms to Angela now. That's 100% agree. Let's support each other because there's so many, so much we can all do and we can all do better for the population, the greater good. I love it. Thank you so much for your time today and your pearls of wisdom. I look forward to following you on all your socials, which everybody I invite you to do. Um, and shooting through if you've got any questions for Angela or the women in hearing health, uh, the ultimate goal here is that you can all come on and host your own podcasts with anyone, uh, any role models or mentors you would also like to listen to on the show. So we hope you are taking care and keeping cool or keeping warm, depending on which hemisphere you're in. And we'll chat to you soon. Thank you so much for your time, Angela. You're welcome. It takes a tribe to raise a child. It also takes a tribe to raise a woman.